This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. One of the people at the table with Jesus heard him say those things. So he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in God's kingdom. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a big dinner. He invited many guests. Then the day of the dinner arrived. He sent his servants to those who had been invited. The servant told them, Come, everything is ready now. But they all had the same idea. They began to make excuses. The first one said, I have just bought a field. I have to go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five pairs of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry. He ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the town. Bring in those who are poor. Also bring those who can't walk, the blind and the disabled. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads. Go out to the country lanes. Make the people come in. I want my house to be full. You're you're wondering what I'm going to say. I am Pastor Brad Bergfalk. I am the very transitional pastor. (laughs) Rumor has it that you've replaced me. Congratulations. You know, that's that's good for you, but it's not so good for me. Um, uh, the, the leadership has asked me to give you a little uh, a little bit of the schedule, the transition schedule, out because I think you all you know made a good decision last week, and now you need to know, or at least might be wondering, what's going to happen next. And uh, basically, I, my last Sunday here will be November tenth, so that's uh, five weeks from today, and so this is. I have four more Sundays that I'm going to preach, and I'm going to um, I'm going to give you everything I got. So, you know, that's that's what pastors do. You know, I, I, it's a short term, so I have nothing. I have nothing to lose at this point, uh, except for maybe my dignity or something. Anyway, uh, so this is how the schedule is going to work. And and unfortunately, during that time, not unfortunately, my my wife and I made plans uh, some time ago now, probably six months ago, to take vacation during the latter part of October. And uh, I'll just tell you what we're doing. We hope to do. We're still kind of waiting on the Indian uh, embassy. But we are going to go on a kind of a a service vacation to India in in, in, uh, 10 days. And we're going to distribute wheelchairs to disabled people who have never been mobile in their entire lives. And so that's how we're going to be spending our vacation in two weeks, which means that uh, I preached today, 
I'll preach again next Sunday, and then I'll be gone for a couple weeks, and then I come back, and I'm I'm only here a couple more weeks after that. And uh, I, we could use we could use your prayers because our visas are right now are sitting on some bureaucrat's desk, in not in the not in the United States government. That, that I'm really thankful for that, but in the uh, in the Indian embassy, you know, and and. People of different countries operate at different speeds. And uh, there's like a nine-day turnaround on the visas. And you, you start doing the math. And we should be getting our visas back the day after our flights are scheduled to leave for India. So we're a little nervous about that. And uh, so if you could pray for us as we prepare for this. And, you know, we, Roxy and I were talking about this. Is this the best time to be taking this kind of a, a trip or vacation? I mean, we, may, we had to make the plans a long time ago. And when you think about it, given the transition that we're uh, looking at, this is a perfect thing for us to do because I'll tell you what, whatever hardship we may feel in terms of our present transition and not really knowing our future, um, those people who we're going to be helping out uh, have it way worse than we do. So it's going to kind of put our life a little bit in perspective, and so I'm really happy about that. Um, some of you have asked, so what's next? What are you going to do next? And, I, and at this point, I have to say, um, I, we're not exactly sure. Um, uh, those of you who are in the military and know going from one uh, appointment or assignment to the next, you have some lead time usually. And, and usually the lead time, uh, one job ends and you know when another one's going to start. In, in our system, in the Evangelical Covenant Church, I'm not being, I, I, I don't get paid between uh, uh, churches. So I, um, ideally, it would be great if this church end and another church called me up and said, Hey, Brad, we need a, we need an interim pastor. Can you come? And can you start on November 17th? And I'd say, Yes, thank you, God. But that, that always, doesn't always happen. And so we are sort of waiting. We're, you know, I'm talking to people and hoping that something, uh, transpires in the next, uh, six weeks or so. And that would be another way that you could pray for us as we leave. So, that, uh, if there's other questions that you have, feel free to, you know, talk to me or um, a member of the leadership team. We, you know, we're kind of trying to work this out as we go along. And, and now I'm going to uh, preach a sermon because that's why I came up here anyway. So, uh, this is the last sermon in a series of sermons that we have called Four Words. Um, we have spent uh, f- four weeks, believe it or not, looking at these four words. The words are explore, connect, transform, and celebrate. And uh, in, in some ways, this is really fitting to sort of, sort of uh, preach this, this word on the Sunday after this congregation has uh, a significant reason to celebrate. But um, lest you think that the celebration of having a new pastor, perhaps uh, looking into an, uh, a new future um, under, under the leadership of a new pastor is what Jesus is talking about, I hate to break it to you, but he's not. Um, the celebration that Jesus is talking about, we're going to sort of unpack here in, in, in the next few moments. But uh, as we've looked at these four words... We, we have discovered that each of these words are rich with meaning. They're, 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 they're hugely important. In fact, a couple weeks ago I preached about transform and, and, uh, um, and, and for me, that, it, that's my favorite word. And, uh, I'm, I'm delighted that, uh, a number of you, um, felt God sort of pushing you to, to take some steps 
that would enable his transforming power to have a greater impact in your life. And that's why I do this, to, so that so that you can have, uh, so I can see what God is doing in the transforming way that he does. Now, we, we as a church desire to be a church that is not afraid to bring our doubts to uh, uh to our religious experience, our questions to God. And, and that's what we mean when we talk about explore. And in so doing, we believe that God honors our seeking. God, God is not ticked off when we come with questions. But God honors it, and He provides us with just enough light for the path that is ahead of us. We desire to be a church that affirms the gifts of individuals and welcomes those gifts for the good of the whole congregation because it's about connecting our giftedness with the larger body. And, and this is harder than it looks. You know that because so much of our lives are oriented around our individual pursuits. Um, and because God has gifted you, and there's not a person here in this room that has not been gifted by God, so there's no excuse then you have a responsibility to use those gifts for the sake of God's kingdom. And if the next pastor doesn't tell you that, which I'm sure he will, please remember that. You know, this is, this is not like going to, the, to a stage play where you pay money and you watch somebody perform and then you go out to lunch and, you know, critique what happened. This is not what that is. We desire to be a church that pays attention to, that speaks about, that gives opportunity for God to do His transforming work in our lives. Transformation is the center of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And we at Community Covenant Church are not embarrassed to talk about transformation. Because we believe that a transformed life is the life that Jesus is calling us to. See, see, I told you in the last four sermons here, you're going to get them... I haven't even started yet. Finally, today I want to tackle this final word of the four that we've talked about. Another way to describe celebration, celebration in my uh, lifetime is party. So if you hear me use the word party today, I, I'm talking about celebrate. But, but we're talking about party. And who doesn't like a good party? Whether you were a former party animal in your, in your junior high and high school or a college career, or whether you were a wallflower that always felt badly because you never got invited to those parties. Nevertheless, we all somewhere deep down love a good party. How do I know that? Because every time I turn around, our culture, our television sets are advertising this, this grand event or that party or this or that. You know, uh, uh, last week I was in uh, Seattle put, uh, putting my youngest uh, son in his freshman year in college and uh, happened to have tickets uh, available to me to go to the Seattle Sounders game. Talk about a party. I mean, we, there, there are thousands of people that gather an hour before the game somewhere in Seattle and they, and they march in this celebration towards the stadium. And their faces are painted, and they're cheering, and they're waving, you know, uh, uh, Seattle Sounders flags. And when they get into the stadium, it's a party. We, we love parties. All kinds of parties. Parties that 
celebrate another year of someone's birth, parties to celebrate the graduation of someone from uh, school, uh, parties to celebrate the, the 65, 65 years? Gert, Gert, how did you stay with him so long? Way to go. I, you know, I've been 29, so uh, you, you are a model to Roxy and I. We, we celebrate parties for our favorite sports teams. We, 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 Super Bowl parties. The most, the most watched event in the history of the world on television is a Super Bowl. And what do we do? We make it into a party. We don't even care who the teams are that are playing most of the time. Now, I'm not unusual in my love for parties. I know that. Our culture loves parties, as I've said. And there are all kinds of parties. And occasionally we get invited to a party now and then. This past uh, weekend we had a little party at our house. And when Roxy informs me that we have been invited to a party, I always respond with a few consistent and important questions. And my first question to my wife often is, when I learn that we've been invited to a party, is this. Who is the host of the party? Who is the host? The reason why I ask this is because it provides me with sort of a framework for what kind of party this is likely to be, right? If it's Roxy's company Christmas party where I'm not likely to know anybody in the room, it means one thing. It means I'm going to have an evening of a lot of small talk with a lot of people who once they learn that I'm going to pastor, they're going to not want to talk to me anymore. That's what that means. It's true. And if the party is of a longtime friend who's celebrating the graduation of a child from high school, it means something else. Who's the host of the party? The host often determines sort of the tenor of the party, right? Right? And by knowing who the host is, we know something about the character of the party. I have a pretty good idea of what kind of party it's likely to be if the person who's inviting me, I know them at all. The host determines the theme of the party. The host decides what kind of food or drink or music will be playing at the party. The host of the party can make all the difference in whether it's a good party or an extraordinary party. And on this note, I, I'm, I must say that I'm, I'm, I'm pretty easy to please when it comes to my critique of parties, but I do have one criteria that determines whether it is a great party or just a mediocre party, and this is it. If uh, shrimp cocktail is served, it is an outstanding party. <laughs> if it's not... But since, since I've been here in Alaska, I've got to tell you, um, I've changed that. I've added something else to what makes an outstanding party. Uh, if uh, Alaska king crab is served, that too could be an outstanding party. In fact, this week I'm doing the wedding for somebody uh, here, and um, he has access to Alaska king crab. So we were talking, he goes, so how much, you know, how much is it going to cost me to have you do my, do my wedding? And I... I thought about it for a second. I said, it's going to be all of the Alaska king crab legs that I can eat at your reception. (laughs) So, um, that's the first question. Who is the host of the party? The second question is, what is the reason for the party? You see, this answer, the answer to this question is important because it gives me a clue how I should dress, right? What's the reason? It it tells me how I should behave. Uh, If the 
party is to honor someone who has just died, you know, a, a funeral reception party, then that has a certain kind of gravitas, right? You, you don't want to come dressed in your f- most flamboyant outfit or something like that. If it's a Halloween party where the guests are, are invited to wear their scariest outfits, then that's another matter altogether. And I should, uh, at this point, give a shout out to my neighborhood because of, uh, when we got here last fall around this time, we were um, uh, received an invitation to go to a Halloween party in my neighborhood out at around six mile mark on the Eagle River Road. And uh, this party, this Halloween party, was the most elaborate Halloween party I have ever been to in my entire life. You walked in the front door, and they had created a scary haunted house that you had to walk through before you got up to where all the shrimp cocktail was. I mean, so I was intent on getting there, but it was pretty scary. And of course, we didn't know anybody at this party, and they were all dressed in scary costumes. And Roxy and I were dressed kind of in street clothes, and people would come up to us and say, Hi, um, who are you? And we weren't sure at the time whether they were commenting on our dress or just the fact that they'd never seen us before. But nevertheless, best Halloween party I've ever been to. We have friends uh, in New York State who every year for as long as we've known them, they throw a groundhog party. Have any of you ever been invited to a groundhog party? Okay, you, it's pretty unusual, isn't it? They prepare for this party by cooking all of this excellent food, and there's always plenty of everything to drink that you could possibly want. And, and uh, who doesn't want to celebrate the arrival of the ground dog who will tell us whether or not there's going to be six weeks more of winter? Unless, of course, you live in Alaska, where there's always six weeks more of winter. Are you guys from Pennsylvania? Is that why you... No? Because that's, that's where... What's his name? Tuscatani Phil. Yeah, yeah. A great, great party. Well, anyway. So, what's the reason for the party? That's another question I ask. And you're, you're wondering, when is he going to get to the sermon? I'm, I'm there. I'm almost there. And, and who else is invited to this party? That's the third question. Is the party going to be filled with stuffed shirts pretending to relax? You know, a bunch of accountants. No offense if you're an accountant. Uh, or is it going to be attended by a bunch of party animals who are fun and gregarious and conversational? I mean, that matters to me. By knowing who else is on the invitation list, I get a pretty good idea of the circle of, of friendship of the host. By knowing who is on the invitation list... For the party, I can learn a lot about the character of the host. And Jesus, here we go, Jesus is no stranger to parties. In fact, in the course of his ministry, if you pay any attention, wherever he goes, he gets accused of being a party animal. My word's not the Bible's. He gets accused all the time by the religious folks of being more interested in celebration than spending time attending to the religious duties of his faith. And to be honest with you folks, I like that about Jesus. And I have a hunch that we as the Church of Jesus Christ would have a much easier time attracting the unchurched culture if we threw a few more parties and embodied that character of Jesus more than some others. It's just a hunch. 
Well, in this passage, it was read for us a moment ago. We have a picture of a, of a huge party. My Bible calls it the great banquet. But, you know, what's the difference, right? Huge party, great banquet. And in order to understand why Jesus tells us this parable about this great banquet, this grand party, we really need to understand what just took place prior to this passage. So I'm going to kind of give you a quick run-through of that. See, immediately preceding this, this, uh, this description of this great party that we read a moment ago, Jesus is attending a party of sorts at the home of one of the religious leaders. And in the midst of this grand celebration in this religious leader's home, a Pharisee, uh, Jesus noticed that there was a disabled person in the room. And in the midst of this celebration, Jesus did the only thing that he possibly could have done. He didn't ignore this person. He went over and he healed them. He healed them. Because that's what Jesus does, right? And when the religious folks in the room saw this, they began to grouse about the fact that Jesus had healed the man on the Sabbath, no less. Can you, can you believe what Jesus did? Can you believe this? And one thing led to another, and before Jesus knew it, he was in the midst of this heated conversation about whether it was lawful to do this or that on the Sabbath. And, you know, just the religious people have an uncanny ability of kind of spinning these these complex conversations all over the place. And, excuse me, Jesus makes a couple of comments at this point about party etiquette, if you will. Party hierarchy. You know about party hierarchy, right? You, you know about it. It's, it's, where, it's where you sit at a table in a particular party that indicates how important you are at that party. And you're sitting here going, oh, we don't do that. Yes, we do. Sure we do. You ever been to a wedding? Go to the reception. There's a little name tag that has your name on it. And uh, if you're really important, part of the wedding party, you sit in front, right? If you're a member of the family, you sit right next to the front. And then everybody else, you're, you got the cheap seats. That's the way it works. It's the same in Jesus' day. So Jesus is, is sort of addressing this issue of party etiquette, of party hierarchy. And uh, while he's on this theme, as Jesus often done, does, he pushes a little bit further into the religious folks' preconceived ideas about whether it's proper party etiquette or not to heal on the Sabbath by suggesting that, that if they want to have a party that really matters, that they should not just invite their rich friends and relatives, but that they should invite those who are poor those who are on the outside, those who are disabled, those who probably would never, ever get invited to such lavish parties as these. One of the churches that I served uh, had a women's Christmas brunch for many years. I don't know if we... Do we have one? I don't, I'm not sure if we do. I'm not a woman, so I've never really been invited. But at any rate, um, and the, you know, it was it was every women's Christmas brunch brunch that you've ever attended. You know, the women in the church got together and they decorated the tables with their special uh, Pier One frou frou stuff, and I mean, it was just really beautiful. I saw it, um, and if, at some point, they looked around at each other and they said, "You know, we're all friends. 
we all go to the same church, you know, and every year we, this event seems to be getting smaller and smaller and smaller, and eventually, you know, we might not need to have this because um, nobody else is coming but us. So they did something very interesting. They decided that they were going to continue to hold the women's Christmas brunch, but instead of it being a party for them, they did the same exact thing that they would have done for themselves, but they went out to the women's shelters, they went out to the local soup kitchens, and they arranged to drive all of these women to the church to attend as special guests the women's Christmas brunch. And they provided child care that was programmed up the yin-yang. Can you say that? Oh, that's right. I'm just a transitional pastor. <laughs> it, was pro- it was amazing. And the first time I saw this, you've got these women who, who they can't provide for their children, so they bring, him here, bring them here, and guess what? They can go through a room, and they can pick out gifts and, and wrap them so that they can have Christmas gifts for their children on Christmas. That's what this church did. This is the kind of party that Jesus is talking about. So this brings us to the, to the, to the parable, and we're going to look at it very briefly. Um, and we're going to use the questions that I've just described for you, the three important questions, kind of as the questions that will lead, guide us through this text. So the first question is, who is the host of the party? As in this text. Well, as we look at it, I, I want to first make a couple of observations. And the first one is this. That this kingdom party that Jesus is describing in this text is a party to end all parties. Okay, there is no party that's better than this one. This, this is the grand event. This is the culmination of what every person of, of God has been waiting for. And the second observation I want to make about this parable is that whenever there is food or partying going on in the Gospels, it's always, it's always a foreshadowing of the great banquet, this great banquet, where where the people will come from east and from west, from north and from south, and they will gather in the presence of God to celebrate the goodness and the faithfulness of God. So whenever you see eating, food, partying going on in the Gospels, that's what it's about. And, and lastly, I want to say this. I want um, The party is a picture of an alternative kingdom. This doesn't look like anything that we are accustomed to in our world. This is an invitation to another way of living. This is a celebration that will make all other parties pale by comparison, but it will be unlike all of those other parties. So, who is the host of this party? Who's the host? Who do you think Jesus is talking about when he's talking about this host? Anybody? It's okay. God. Somebody said God. If you didn't, I just projected what I wanted you to say right now. God is the host of this party. Yes. The man throwing the party to end all parties in this parable is God. And God asks his servant to go out and invite guests to his party. And the servant does that. And who do you suppose the servant is in this parable? Jesus. Yes, you're you're getting it. Thank you. Jesus. And as we look at this story, we discover that when, when it came time for the invited guests to come to the party, they all began to make excuses of why they couldn't come. Surprise, surprise. Kind of sounds like us, doesn't it? 
one guy says, I've just bought some property up in, uh, up in the valley, and I need to go take a look at it, because it's going to be my retirement place. Another one says, I just purchased some oxen, and I need to try them out first. I, I just got a new car, and I need to break it in first. And, and, I, and so my wife and I are going on a trip. And perhaps the best excuse of all, an excuse nevertheless, a third person says, you know, I'd love to come to your banquet, your party, but I'm getting married on that day. In other words, I'm having my own party that is more important than your party. Right? That's what, it, that's what it's about. In fact, if you were to boil down all of these excuses, these responses, it all comes down to the same basic reason why they can't come to the party. And the reason is they had better things to do than attend the party that the, that the host was throwing. That's pretty much it. So with that in mind, let's consider the next question. What's the reason for the party? We can infer from the frequent use of party imagery and celebration imagery in the Bible, that there's something very important about celebrating. From the earliest pages of the Old Testament, the whole religious, uh, Jewish religious um, tradition revolved around a series of feasts, of, of celebrations, of, of parties, where they were to gather to celebrate the faithfulness of God. And the most important event in Jewish history, of course, is the Passover. And how do the modern Jews celebrate Passover? By having a party. What are they celebrating? They're celebrating the faithfulness of God to the people of God in the, his in the history of their tradition and up until the present day, even into the future. That's what it is. They're, they're celebrating the reality that in the hard places of their life, God didn't lend, leave them to fend for themselves. But He remained faithful and present with them through thick and thin. And I am so thankful for that. The reason for this party that the host is throwing for these invited guests in this parable, it's no different. This party is, is not about the guests. We will discover that in a moment. This party is about a host who not only wants to celebrate with his invited guests, he wants to remind the guests that he hasn't given up on them yet. The host, who is God, wants the guests to celebrate the reality of a God who in our darkest moments in history has provided a way out for us. That's what the host wants to do. Communicate now. Now it doesn't really take a lot to see the parallels here uh, between this story, this parable, and our own situation, does it? Right, can you make some of these connections, or do I need to spell it out for you? Not unlike many of the invited guests of this great banquet and this parable, some of us, many of us, sadly, have better things to do with our lives. God has sent us an invitation. God has reminded us that he has a party that we are invited to. And how do we respond? Oh, yeah, that's great. Uh, let me check with my wife, which is a, another way of saying, um, let me just wait and see if I get invited to a better party. Hmm. You see, our lives are full of all kinds of activities, aren't they, that trump 
any party, even if God is the host. Some of us are preparing for the coming winter, and we've got to get our studs on so we can't go to the party. Some of us uh, have to get the patio furniture off the deck before the snow flies. Some of us have long lists of projects that need to be done while there's still light to see. Some of us have business transactions that will result in significant financial gain to us if we play our cards right. But the last thing we have time to do right now is go to a party. And even some of us will be throwing our own parties and and inviting our own friends and, and we will have to vacuum the carpet and clean the bathrooms and prepare for our own guests. And if God would have invited us a little sooner, we could have got it on our calendar and probably could have gone. Maybe. And so it goes. You see, we, some of us, will choose to miss this grand celebration, this party to end all parties because we just don't have time. We, we just don't have the money. We just don't have the energy. Have I missed anything? And, and look at what the host of the party does when his invited guests choose to attend their own parties. Which leads us to the third question. Who else is invited to this party? It was the very people who we would never imagine sitting next to at a party. That God invites. It's the poor. It's the dispossessed. It's the drunks who spend all of their PFDs on alcohol and hookers. It's the homeless mother and her three children who live in a shelter in Anchorage because she's tired of getting beaten within an inch of her life by her drunken husband. Those are the kinds of people that are being invited to this party. Do you see what Jesus is doing in this parable? He's, he's, he's painting this picture of, of, of the kingdom of God that is unlike anything that we've ever seen. He's proclaiming the arrival of the kingdom that isn't just for people like us who live on five-acre plots in Eagle River, Alaska with views of Cook Inlet this alternative kingdom that Jesus brings to the world is a kingdom where the reason why we can celebrate to begin with is because of God's faithfulness and only because of God's faithfulness. We aren't good enough, folks, to be invited to this party. We aren't rich enough to buy a ticket to this party. We aren't smart enough to talk our way past the bouncer at this party. Yet the mystery of God's kingdom is that every person sitting here today is invited to this party. You and I are honored guests at a banquet that has been set for a king every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Every month we come to this table because we've been given an invitation by Jesus to come. And with this invitation, there is a reason to celebrate. Because just like those who were part of the second invitation in this parable of the great banquet, Jesus welcomes us to this table and he says to us, 
Your excuses don't matter to me. Come and receive the bread and the cup. This passage that we've been looking at today is the most important RSVP that you will ever receive and have an opportunity to respond to. Do you notice how sometimes when we get invited to parties, um, we're asked to RSVP? Do you know what that means? You, you probably do. It's French. It means respondez s'il vous plaît. Respondez s'il vous plaît. I don't speak French, so that's just, please respond. When you receive an invitation in the mail and it says RSVP, the host of the party is asking you, please, please, please. Respond. Are you going to be there? Every time we gather to celebrate the Lord's Supper, God isn't just inviting us to trudge forward and, and pinch off a morsel of bread so that we can dip it in the juice and, and have the server pray for us and send us on our way. Every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, God is asking us, Responde s'il vous plaît. Please respond. Will you come into my kingdom? Please respond. Will you set aside the concerns of your, of your life long enough to allow me to help you? Please respond. Will you relinquish your desire to have your future all figured out? Maybe. <laughs> Please respond. Will you put aside your bitterness towards your boss or your ex-spouse or your... Or your Husband or wife who's mistreated you or, or lets you down in some way long enough to be immersed in God's grace at this table. Please respond. Will you come and proclaim that your life is not your own, but that you belong to the one who wants you to be in attendance at the greatest celebration of all time. Please, respond. We have been asked to responde s'il vous plaît. RSVP. Now, it is up to us.